You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Turn to Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, as we look to God's Word here this morning. And, uh, and as we've been working through this amazing chapter of the Bible, the Holy Spirit chapter, and, and, and I don't know how many of you could relate to this. I, I think probably some of us can when it comes to uh, those instructions or those words that you see when it says, some assembly required. And probably most of us, especially men, we've had some painful experiences with that, whether it's your kid's trampoline or a backyard playground set or some Ikea furniture. You look at all the parts, you take it out of the box, and you even have a picture on the front of the box. So it's like, how hard could this be? You don't need those step-by-step instructions and doing things in a certain order. I mean, come on. I've been around a little bit. I know how to do this sort of thing. But as you go along, all of a sudden you get to a certain point where it's like, hmm, something's not quite right here. It's a little crooked. It's a little off. There's extra parts at the end. You think, okay, something's not right. It's a little wobbly, a little leaning. And, and, and so finally, you humble yourself and you look at the instructions and you're like, oh no. And you realize that there was a step or two earlier on that you missed that would have just brought the proper perspective to things. And so you need to kind of deconstruct a little bit. You need, or, or a lot, you kind of got to go back to the beginning and kind of get an understanding of things in order to get it done right, in order for it to be functional. You know what, I think the same could easily be said and experienced when it comes to our spiritual, to the Christian life. We need, it's important that we understand certain theological truths, in particular, the sequence or order of of certain theological truths that will help us to understand and to be able to comprehend and thus enable us to live a life of victory and power. And this is when and where as we understand and then experience these realities in our life that we can come alive in Christ and be able to live the life in power and victory. And as this series is called, to come alive. Because there may be many here today, online, in cars, where if you were to be honest, you're kind of faking it. You're faking it, hoping to make it. Outside, it's all kind of plastic and shiny. I mean, in some ways, that describes the Okanagan so beautifully, plastic and shiny. You have the right look, the right lingo. Even when it comes to, to faith, when it comes to practice in, 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 of, of religion, if you want to call it. But inside, it's kind of dead and it's kind of empty on the inside. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's struggles on the inside and sometimes outwardly and at some point you don't even care with sin or unholiness. That if you were to be honest that throughout the week there's very little passion for the Lord, very little passion for His Word, little passion to be together with God's people or for worship. And it seems like we talked about last week that 24-7 you're living the Romans 724 life. That kind of frustrated Oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman, oh, wretched teenager or child that I am. Who can deliver me from this? I need help. And so we settle for the Romans 724 life, where we are just, it seems, going through the motions. But this is where you turn the page and you come to Romans 8, and it's so beautiful. It's about how we can come alive and experience a transformation, a joy from the inside out. A lasting joy. 
And over the last number of weeks in Romans 8, we've been talking about this, and I hope that by the end of this series in Romans 8 that you will even understand this, that verse 1 starts with what? How does verse 1 start? With no condemnation. Way to go, three of you. We've got to keep repeating this, I guess, in order to get... And it ends in verse 39 with what? No Where have you been the last number of weeks? It starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. You've got to get that through your hands. It's so important that we know that. Because this is the love that God has for us. No condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And in the end, and, and we got all this other good stuff in these other verses. But in verse 39 then it says, No separation forever with Jesus in heaven forever. Amen. You can't get any better than that. When you hear Romans 8, I'm hoping next week that we're just like on the ball. And it's just like, how does it start? No separation or, or no condemnation. How does it end? No separation. It's so important we know this. And that no condemnation begins at the very moment of salvation. And no separation culminates with our glorification when we are with Christ. But what happens in between that time? That can be years, that can be decades, it can be many, many, it could be 40, 50, even 60 years. What happens from that point of salvation to that point that we get to go home when we get to go to heaven and be forever with Jesus Christ? What kind of happens in between there? Is this the, the battle, the struggle, the lifelessness, the just kind of like, oh, I know that there's more, but I'm not feeling, I'm not getting it, I'm not experiencing it. And so we try all kinds of different experiences and different things just to try to boost our spiritual lives. It can seem like there's just a lot of struggle. Well, the verses today, verses 12 to 17 that we're going to be looking at are the key. They're the bridge. They're the glue. They're the secret sauce, if you want to call it, that just holds it all together, that just ugh, makes it so awesome. You know the secret sauce? How many of you like the Kelly O's Pacho um, sauce, that dipping stuff. How many of you know that stuff? Have you had an encounter with it? It'll alter the way you worship. Honestly, it is so good. It is so good. Or maybe some of you like <laughs> McDonald's secret sauce or, or, or maybe Swiss chalet. Now, I personally like it. My wife detests the Swiss chalet sauce and that's probably part of the reason we haven't been there for years. You know, but, but there's the kind of the secret sauce, the secret ingredients that are oh, so good. Well, 12 to 17 here in Romans 8 is the secret sauce. It provides us with a motivation for holiness to grow in Christ-likeness, in obedience to God in his word. And this isn't about guilt or shame or legalism, but it is about a response to him. It's we love him. And, and, and for that reason, we pursue him. Why? Because he first loved us. And it's absolutely important that we understand this text. And, and that we get our heads around these theological terms and, 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 and this important doctrine we're going to look at today to bring an end to the doubt and to the despair and to the defeat and to find joy and rest and peace so that no longer does anyone have to say, I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel like, like I have pleased God enough. And so let's read this passage. You can follow along. Ethan read it earlier, but it's God's word. And so let's just continue to just lean into it. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live, not to live, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Now, in theological terms, one of the things and what you kind of see up here today in part, at least, and, and what we are going to be talking about is, is an important doctrine, but we need to understand this doctrine in light of the other doctrines that are so cute, so essential and so important to our salvation and to understanding God's redeeming work in us. And so today, this, this kind of theological term or this order or sequence that we're going to look at is ordo salutis, which is the Latin for, in English, meaning the order of salvation. Now, on your bulletin that you received today, in the online lobby later on today, and it's already in the e-news that you received yesterday, there are some links that even help you to understand and explain this in a greater way than we're going to go into today. There's that QR code that you can just scan, and it will take you there. Don't do it now. Do it later on in your study time this week. Now, the order salutis is a way of organizing and explaining the work of redemption. And this is important that we understand that, that we get this through our heads because it will change and alter the way we see the Christian life. This is the where the individual life is joined together with the Holy Spirit, and we see these steps that take place. Now, some of these terms, not all of them, are here in these boxes here today that Brett so willingly made uh, for us to be able to get this through. Not re represented are some early steps over in here. There's election and there is the gospel call that is so important that, that takes place where the gospel is proclaimed and, and we respond to that. And, and what ends up happening then is that there is regeneration. Regeneration here, which is the sovereign work of God, granting new life. And, and this is where we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That is the work of regeneration. Next is salvation. This is where there is a response to the gospel call. And this work that takes place, which involves sincere repentance and faith, turning from sin and turning to Jesus. And perhaps you're here today, you've never done this. This is absolutely essential that you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty that we deserve because we've all messed up. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We've all fallen short. We've hurt others. We've hurt God. And when we believe and trust that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins and we trust him as our Lord and Savior, turning away and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Salvation takes place. And, and when there is that, re, that sincere repentance and faith that takes place, we become a child of God. At that instant, there is justification that takes place. This is the instantaneous legal act. This is when the judge, God, hits the gavel down and says, innocent of all charges. This is where we are declared righteous before God, where he declares us righteous. Then we also see sanctification, and this is the process that, that you're in if you are a believer in Christ. This has already happened, these other ones, but here is another one, and this is a process that continues on. This is where it means to be set apart for God. This is continuing to grow in areas of holiness. 
in, in Christ-likeness, where we become more and more like Christ, and that ought to be happening in our lives. If this is a reality in our lives, sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, ought to be happening in our growing affections and virtues for Christ. This is about real persever perseverance in the Christian life. And, and there's another one we could have here called perseverance. And this is kind of the keeping of the saints, that Christ keeps us, that, that we are his and, and, and he is, is, is ours. And then lastly, we have glorification. This takes place this second the millisecond we take our last breath from this earth, that we are in the glorified state. We are then in heaven forever with Christ. And this is just such an amazing reality that takes place. But there's one term, there's still one box that I have back here that I haven't mentioned. And this is the secret sauce that we need to understand today. This is the key. This is the bridge that will help in this. Because if you and I were honest, this is where we battle. This is where we struggle. It's in this process of becoming Christ-like because there's still a lot of uh, kind of stuff left in me and I don't like it very much. And, and, and so we battle and we fight and we fail and we fall on our face and we become discouraged. And then we have times of victory and then we have times of defeat and it goes back and forth. And what helps us in this? Well, this is where one term, one significant term, one doctrine is so important for us to understand. And it is vital to our growth, to our sanctification, to our salvation, that we understand this. And this is the word adoption, that we have been adopted by God into his family. Why is there no condemnation? Because we've been adopted. Why is there going to be no separation? Because we are adopted. This is just a beautiful, beautiful, powerful reminder to us of this incredible truth of what God has done for us. Because we are as adopted sons and daughters, it is so glorious. We have been brought into the family of God. We struggle, we fail, just as when we were younger, just the way that even kids or teenagers today, you mess up with your brothers and sisters, you disobey your parents, you do things that you ought not to do. And yet your parents continue to love you and wrap their arms around you. This is something so beautiful. This is what God does for the believer in Christ. This is where the doctrine, the doctrine of adoption is so important that we get this, that we understand the significance of this. This passage is vital that we understand so that we can live in this relationship. And understanding this, this truth Having to go from our head and then into our hearts and into our lives, it produces the proper motivation for holiness that will bring forth an intimacy with God that will bring forth a joy and a strength and a confidence and victory greater than anything else that we can try. Something that guilt or fear or just try harder, I just got to get on the spiritual treadmill and if I just try really hard, I'm eventually going to get somewhere. You get nowhere on a treadmill, do you? And then the same on the spiritual treadmill of legalism or just trying harder. And so these verses in, in Romans chapter 8, these, the, these verses are so key. And what we see here, we see five realities of adoptions. And I encourage you to just, you can see them there in your, in your bulletin. You should be seeing them full screen right now if you're watching online. If you're watching online, this is the only time they're going to appear. So you might want to screenshot them, write them down. 
And, uh, and, and Jonathan, if you can just leave this screen up there for a good while for those that do want to write this down, because this is so important and I encourage you if you're at home, write it down. Write these five steps down. The rest of you who have the service folders, have them handy. Have a look at it because you need to not just hear it. You need to see this because as, adopted, as an adopted child of God, I have been what? Number one, chosen, rescued, redeemed. I have been, number two, strengthened and, and there's motivation for my battle with sin. I have, as an adopted child, a new identity and family. As an adopted child, number four, an ongoing assurance of my salvation. It also means, number five, that we have a future inheritance that cannot, that will not, no matter what, be taken. Now, we're not going to dig into all five of these today because we notice one thing about the patio, uh, having patio church, is that your attention spans are a little bit shorter. And so we're concentrating this, so listen up, buckle in. These are important truths, and we're going to nail a number of these here, and the others, you have them there before you. But it is vital that we just do not pass over the doctrine of adoption, but that we lean into this, that we understand it, because understanding it changes everything if we allow this truth to penetrate our lives. And the first one here that we see, as an adopted child of God, I've been chosen, rescued, and redeemed. God sent his son to this earth on the ultimate rescue mission. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, paid the ransom so that we could be rescued from the worst slave master ever, Satan and his control, slave master and, and the sin that it encompasses his life. And Jesus came and he paid our redemption when he died on the cross for our sins. He paid for our sins, past, present, and future with his own blood and by the giving of his life so that we could be forgiven, we could be adopted into his family and we could be secure as his children. Now, many of us probably can think of certain war stories that we've heard, books we've written, movies perhaps have been made about these stories where a soldier puts his life, his or her life on the line, risks his own life to, to rescue a fellow soldier or prisoners of war or innocent civilians. And you just think, man, that is so crazy. And, and so, and, 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 and they get in there at the risk of their own life and they bring them to safety. And these are gripping stories. At times when you're reading or you're watching, you're hearing them, it has you on the edge of your seat what people are willing to do. Well, Jesus Christ came to this earth on the ultimate rescue. And, and he didn't just risk his life, he gave his life so that you and I could be rescued so we could be set free. And he not only just brings us out from slavery, he doesn't bring us out from the enemy's hold, he doesn't just take us to a place that is safe, he brings us into his own family. He brings us into his own house. That's his love. But do we get this? Do we comprehend this? We can't lose the awe of what he has done. God takes us not at our best. He takes us at our worst. That is when we come to the rock bottom and that we have nothing good within us. That there is nothing good of what I've done in the past, my family heritage, no matter how much I've gone to church, how much I've given to church, how much good I've tried to do, that that means nothing. He meets us at our rock bottom where we realize we bring nothing, nothing in our hand we bring to him. And he doesn't say, well, you better clean up your act first. You better get control of this, this, and this, and then I just might rescue you. I might then bring you into my... No, he doesn't do that. 
He welcomes us. He takes us and he makes us one of his very own. God so loves us. He so values you that he brings you not just to a place of safety, but into his family. And by his spirit, listen to this. This is just amazing. He moves into the dilapidated neighborhood called us. And he moves in and it's pretty messy and it can be pretty ugly from our past. And he moves in and he's like, let's start making some changes. Let's start the renovation project. And listen, at times you may wonder, does God really love me? Can he really love me? Am I good enough for him? Can I encourage you today, if these thoughts have, are going through your mind, you need to stop looking at your feelings and your circumstances and your mess ups and your failures, and instead you need to look at the cross and to see how loved and how accepted you are in Christ. That yes, he does love you. You have been chosen, you have been rescued, you have been redeemed. And it's out of this relationship that we see secondly, that because of our adoption in Christ, there is a strength and a motivation in our battle, in our battle with sin. Look at verse 12. It says here, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It means you'll just kind of waste away spiritually. You're just kind of just, just go through the drudgery. But if you live, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, we're no longer slaves to the flesh and sin. That's been defeated. But now we become, as God's word tells us, slaves to righteousness. We've been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, we're going to battle temptation. We're going to battle that inner self, that inner flesh. The old man is sometimes we like to call that old woman that is within us. Well, not in me. It's an old man in me. We're going to battle that. And that doesn't make you a lousy Christian because you are battling. Because you're battling temptation. You're battling just at times just dark and evil thinking and thoughts in your mind doesn't make you a lousy Christian because you battle in that way. But when we desire to make war on our sin and we understand this battle, you become a hero of the faith as you press on in this reality. And the Spirit helps us to cut away, gives us the power, the strength to experience the victory as we walk and keep in step with the Spirit as we talked about last week. And, and, and He helps us, the Holy Spirit, to build spiritual muscle, spiritual disciplines, that will lead to a life of victory and joy and strength. As well, being able to lay our head on the pillow at night with a clean, a clear conscience. Enjoy a fellowship and a closeness with God. And so there's a strength that comes from the Holy Spirit to fight the flesh, to cut away and break free from the bondage of sin. There, there is no sin that has such a grip and such a stronghold on a person that God's grace isn't greater still. And so there's strength in, for this fight. But also, too, it says, as we see this point here, there's also a new motivation for holiness. There's new motivation for holiness in my battle with sin. And what's this motivation? Look at verse 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The motivation here is love. A love that comes from understanding we have been adopted. Now, Christianity is not just about behavior modification. 
It's about a spiritual transformation. And let's face it, behaviors can be modified. Look how dogs and cats and dolphins and lions and elephants, all, any animal, it seems, can be trained. And we as humans, we're slightly, maybe a little bit more intelligent than those animals that I listed. We can change and modify our behavior if there is enough or the right stimulus or reason to do so. You're going to fight and you're going to battle and, and, and change your behavior when it comes to alcohol or anger or, or, or lust because you've seen the destruction that these things have brought into your life with alcoholism or with just outbursts of anger. It means restraining orders or, or, or because of a battle, a struggle with pornography affects and damages your marriage and it can ruin your life and and, and, that, and so there is at times this great motivation to change and be, it's because the motivation to change is so high. But behavior modification changes actions when it can change our actions. But when it comes to holiness, when it comes to true change within, it comes by the Spirit of God. And yet things like guilt and fear and shame can be great motivators to pursue spiritual disciplines and produce some sort of short-term results. Whether that happens in church, whether that happens from a family member, the guilt, the shame, reminding you of your past, and it's like, okay, I don't want to go there. I want to be different. Sometimes it's from, our, from just that inner voice within, and that can produce short-term results to look and act and to live differently. But it won't change us on the inside. It may change our behavior, maybe even for good, but still there's not the transformation of heart that's taking place. You see, no one, nothing. We don't thrive for very long with fear and guilt. Think of a business, a workplace where there's a lot of guilt or a lot of fear. High paced, we get results and we go hard. Or for in, in, in families, in a marriage, on sports teams, even in church. You may thrive and may get short-term results because fear or guilt can be great motivators. But living in this constant fear rejection takes a toll. It's like where maybe even spiritually we almost see God like this policeman who's on traffic duty, just waiting to nab you, and he's just waiting to get you. You're just going along through life, and you just mess up, and whack, he's going to come, and he's going to find you. He's going to take his, his belly stick. He's going to whack you with it, and that's sometimes the impression we get of God. No one thrives in that kind of fear relationship. Now, if you follow hockey, and hockey play playoffs are on right now, uh, in case some of you didn't know, they are. Uh, certain coaches at times are brought to teams where teams seem pretty talented, but it seems like they're kind of underperforming. And, and some of these names, if you're a bit of a hockey fan, you're going to realize some of these names of some of these coaches who are brought in, and they get results. Oh, they get results all right. Names like Mike Keenan. He's kind of from the past. More recently, John Tortorella or Daryl Sutter. They, they seem to be brought into these teams, and, and they get great results. Why? Because there's lots of, let's get going, boys. And, and there's a lot of repercussions. If you don't smarten up, I'm going to bench you, and I'm going to call you out in, in the newspapers. And, and, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of language, and there's a lot of anger, and there's a lot of just like, whoa. And so for a bit, there's great short-term results from their tactics and their antics. But after a few seasons, they get fired 
or like one of them this past, in the last few weeks, just, re- just kind of decided to part ways and he'll take his road show elsewhere because it gets old after a bit. But he'll get results. Just like fear and guilt from the preacher can bring short-term results, guilt and fear from within or from, uh, from a family member or a brother or sister in Christ can, can bring these kind of results, but it doesn't last forever. Then we kind of just start kind of hiding away. Same is true when we view God in that kind of a way, from a position of anger or displeasure. And he's just going to take it up a notch if you kind of don't live right. That's not a good behavior a good way to look at transformation and and the way to be truly transformed. Legalism is another lousy motivator. I'll obey God. I will, in a sense, sanctify myself. I'll do lots of good. And then in that way, God will be indebted to me. He will bless me. He'll have no choice but to bless me. Look at all the good I'm doing. Look at all these things that I'm doing. And people notice and and, and they bless me and encourage me because all these things. And, and, And others will notice my holiness. And if others are noticing my holiness, well, then God must be noticing my holiness as well. But sadly, what can happen is the legalist, the performer, can end up developing a deeper relationship with the commands of God rather than developing a relationship, intimate relationship with God himself. And this results just a joyless, religious life and living. Martin Luther said this, he says, this is so good. If the devil can't ruin people by making them worse, he will ruin them by making them better. We have such an emphasis on just trying to live better and it just ends up just like you just can't seem to do enough or get enough. And sadly, the church of Jesus Christ can be a great place to hide from God. We can be so busy looking and playing the part and just hoping that sooner or later things are just going to change on the inside in my troubled, in my messed up heart. We end up keeping this distance from God, but we're still virtuous. We we're missing this relationship with him but we're, that we're inwardly longing for. But the motivation towards holiness that comes from understanding the doctrine of adoption is so important. It's so much greater because thirdly, we see as an adopted child of God, I have a new identity and a new family that we're brought into. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That ought to be underlined in your, in your Bible, but you have received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to some other passages. Paul, this isn't just a one-off. This isn't just one place in God's word. Listen, John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When I was in grade four, I remember one day bragging at the dinner table that I'd never been to the principal's office. Nope. I had five years. Not because I failed, because I went to kindergarten. So five years of stellar performance. 
guess what happened the very next day? I was in the principal's office. Now, I didn't really do anything wrong. There was no sin of commission. There was a sin of omission, I guess. We witnessed a fight, a fight on the playground, and we just watched and never um, got the teachers involved or anything like that. And so for that, a bunch of us were called into the principal's office. I was so humbled. I was terrified being in the office. And, and when Mr. McKegg, the principal, wasn't getting the answers he was looking for, this is old school, what did he do? He went to the drawer of his desk, he pulled it out, and he brought out the strap. And I, I can remember to this day, I remember that strap just going back and forth in his hand. It looked like a metronome going back and forth. I mean, I, I, mean, I was scared being in there and, and, and just thinking, I am so crushed, I'm so destroyed, like my parents, that they find out, and, and, and I didn't really do anything in this strap now. I'm just like... Oh, no. And, uh, and, and in, in that moment, I was just so crushed. And I mean, tears were starting to fill my eyes. I was so devastated. You know what ended up happening at the end of that day? Mr. McKeg, <laughs> I still can't believe this. He would have gone home, kissed his wife, and his children would have come running to him and say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he would love them and, and, and encompass them in his arms. Two very different experiences to the same man. What made the difference? They were his kids. And the same thing, so many of us have that same, God is the principal in the heavens. God is the policeman in the sky. God is that judge that is just like waiting to condemn us. But if you are his child, you are his kid. And he in, wants to in, in, envelop us in his arms. On a, when we mess up, when we, when we do things and say things that we don't want to do, when, when we fall short, yes, he can be disappointed in us, but he's not going to whack us for it and say, you are no longer my child. He's going to wrap his arms around us and he's going to love us and he say, let's get, let's get doing this better. You see, there's such a difference between a slave master and a judge and the policeman in the sky and a father, a loving, a perfect father. There's such a difference in viewing God as an angry God just waiting to whack you when you mess up than a father who says, come over here, my child, I love you. This is where we need to understand this adoption and this adoption allows us to call God Abba, Father. This word Abba in, um, in Aramaic, it literally means Papa or Daddy. This is how God wants us to approach him. Yes, with, with, with reverence and awe and fear in, in the right kind, the worshipful kind of fear and awe of his majesty. But he also desires for us to come to him as Daddy, as Papa. This is how Jesus referred to him in the garden, just hours before his crucifixion, crying out to him, Abba, Father, a cry for help, a cry of closeness, a cry, God, come near, Dad, come here, Dad, I need you, Dad, help me. That's the call that he desires for us to have. And as his children, we have that right to see him and refer to him and to know he loves us. This is why the doctrine of adoption is so crucial for us to understand. It's not just a theological term. It's a relationship for us to enjoy. 
And it's from this relationship, this father-son, this father-daughter relationship that God desires to have with us that we see in this passage that we just don't come. We just don't, don't that we don't have uh, time to get into. We see these other elements here about having an ongoing assurance of our salvation that the Spirit bears witness in verse 16 with our spirit that we're his children. And in, in, in the fifth one we see there is sons and daughters. We are made heirs together that we have an inheritance in heaven that Jesus Christ, you, you know, it's so sad that so oftentimes when a loved one passes, there can be kind of a big fight over the inheritance. People don't want to share. They want, I want what's, my, what's mine. You know, I deserve this. I did this. And, and you hear in the battles and it's just ugly. But here is Jesus. He's willing to share with all of us his inheritance that God, in the new heavens, in the new earth, he's, he's, what's yours is mine. It, help yourself. I'm not holding on to any of it. We get to enjoy it together. We get this inheritance that will not be taken away. Loved ones, it's vital that we understand this reality. It is so chain-loosening. It breaks the chains. It, it, it allows us to be able to understand this important truth. It's vital we get this, that Christianity at its core practical level is a response to what God has done for us. 1 John 4, 19, we love God. We obey God. We desire to be obedient to his word and follow his word. We're going to mess up, but we're going to continue to keep on going in this. Why? Because he first loved us, not to earn his love, but because he's been so good to us. We obey him, we follow his commands because we see him as this loving father who loves us and knows best. He's not out to ruin our lives. Sometimes we look at his word and say, this means no fun. No, he knows what's gonna add to our life and what's gonna hurt our lives. And so his word are instructions and commands for us that are gonna give us life to the full here on this earth. He's rescued, he's redeemed us, he's adopted us into his family, making us his sons and daughters. And listen to this, this is so important. That it takes a passion to conquer a passion. And it's a passion for God that enables us to conquer the passions for lesser, temporal, or even sinful things. We've worshipped our way into sin, and we worship our way out of sin. We've been worshipping the wrong things when it comes to sin, and we worship Jesus Christ to get out from the bondage of sin. And when this becomes our good and our right motivation for holiness, it will produce a degree of Christ-likeness in us, of sanctification, that the spirit of the bondage to fear, whether that be legalism, guilt or shame, condemnation, will never be able to produce that kind of change in our lives. Because in the long run, all the other motivations will fail. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul wrote, for the love of Christ constrains us, it compels us. We want to live for him. We want to obey our heavenly father. We want to follow his word because of the love, not because of fear, not trying to get into his good books, not because we're concerned we're going to get whacked, but out of love of what he has done. He's adopted us. And the key to holiness is not to hate sin more, but it is to love Jesus even greater conquer a passion for sin and for our own way and selfishness with a greater passion, a love for God. 
This is why we encourage one another to fight each day for that unhurried God time space in your life. Taking that time daily, just not to check mark, check mark, check mark, reading the Bible. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, that's good for me. But where we linger with Jesus, where we get alone with him in the word, in worship, in prayer, thanking and praising, asking for, for a gratitude and a passion to be stirred up yet again in my heart every day. We need that. Remembering who I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter chosen by him before the creation of the world. Remembering who he is. Abba, Father, Daddy, we run to him. Whether it's a little hurt or whether it's a major blowout, we run to him who graciously loves, forgives, never gives up on us. His love will never fail. And remembering he's called us into this life. Remembering he won't betray you. He won't abandon you. And this love compels us to fight the fight of sin in our lives, as well as provides us with the power to do so, to live a life pleasing to Abba, Daddy, Father. This is the path to victory. Let's pray together. God, we look at our hearts here today and you see all that's going on. You know the motivations that are driving us. You know the state of every heart here because that's who you are, God. And I pray that there would be one motivation that would top it all that we would understand and take away from today, it's your love. You are adopting us in our ugly, messed up, fallen, broken ways. How you make us then sons and daughters. And folks, I just want to say this is available to all who call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that, we'd love to talk to you later about that. I'm going to talk to myself or to one of the ushers. And we've got some uh, envelope to help you in this. We'd love to talk to you further in this but calling out to him as Lord and Savior. And God, may our response to you be a willing obedience to your will and to your word. And God, I pray that every other motivation for holiness, for doing good, all of these things that have just resulted in desperation or despair and frustration would be exposed as a waste of time. That we would be awakened today to this reality of your love. And you would set us on a path of joy and freedom and victory. Do this by your spirit. Work in our lives. Even now as we respond to you in worship, meet us today. As these songs are sung over us, would these be truths and realities? Would we confess the wrong, the sinful motivations, and bask in the love of Abba, Daddy, Father, today we pray. Would that compel us to live for you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.